Welcome back, everybody, to Bugcraft. <laughs> um, trying to get everybody back into our stream channel here. Hi. So, I am your host, you, and I'm joined here by... Docs Brown, coming at you at 1.21 gigawatts. If not, Pike. Lockout. MG. Not Dan. Faith. Oh. <laughs> Hi, and I'm also, I'm you. Um, so yeah, we're here to talk some scary stuff. All right. Yo. Hi. This is crazy. I'm here late. Hell yeah. Hey, crazy. Congratulations, man. Cheers, mate. Did, did you like make an announcement and stuff in the show or? That you were here? Uh, no, no, no. So my wife uh, just delivered twins <gasps> this morning, like at 1 a.m. this morning. You finally got man. Yeah. So I'm a dad now. And Holy shit. yeah, that's no, yeah. too bad. Can't oh, hang out with us anymore. Too responsible. Yeah. Let's bring them on the stream, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're they're still in the hospital right now. I'm home. Um because uh, they were they were premature because, you know, they were twins and dude. I tell you what the weirdest fucking thing ever is when you cut the umbilical cord and I had to do it twice, dude. It's, oh God, fucking felt all gross and shit. And, like <laughs> blood squirted out. And like the first one, I was like, oh God, I'm glad that's over. And then they're like, dad, do you want to cut the other one? And I'm like, oh, not really, mate. You know, but, uh, than it looks. Yeah, dude, it was, oh, well, I'm getting fucking queasy thinking about it. <laughs> God damn, it's great. Well, congratulations, Grace, for real. That's awesome. Cheers, mate. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, on that, um, we have a big show tonight. We have a bunch of people who are coming here and there, um, probably joining us later at around 1030, um, to discuss IoT security. Uh, but for now, I guess we will just do our new segment. Um, so everybody have the notes? Yes, sir. Awesome. All right. Let's get into the first one here. Um, and that is the teen who hacked ex-CIA director John Brennan gets sentenced to two years in prison, a.k.a. Crackpot. Um, but this is UK prison, right? Um, actually, I'm not sure. Did he? It's, uh, it's UK prison, and I think it's Judy. Yeah. yeah <clears throat> so you, UK prison, they do it differently than us. Like, one day counts as two days. Um, and... Wait, yeah, one what? one day. Yeah, one one day in UK prison counts as two days towards your sentence. Why don't they sentence you for half the time? What the the UK metric? Dude, <laughs> I don't fucking. They're all crazy over there with their free health care and fucking taking care of their citizens and shit. So Is that like pretty much one day serve, two days off. off for like good behavior and what they get that taken away from them when they fuck up. Yeah, I don't know. I guess maybe it's kind of like, you know, how we have, like, fucking good time and fucking uh, halfway house time and shit over here. So, I don't know. I guess it's like that. But I don't know, man. I think I think this sentence is a bit harsh to the crime. You know what I mean? Because all he did is, like, social engineering, as far as I know, you know. Like, that's what was publicized. But 
don't know. I feel like uh, it, was, it was like a deterrent, like, you know, trying to deter other people because uh, the CIA director, blah, 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 blah. But it's kind of like, yeah, are they not just cool. highlighting their own fuck-ups and trying to cover that up by giving a big sentence to a kid? Well, that's the thing is like, you know, you're you're not increasing security by doing that. You're just being a dickhead. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, yeah, we, we fucked up really bad, so we're going to give you a really harsh sentence, you know? What um what was the total amount of time that he got? Two years. So one year then. Right, yeah. Or was it four right, years? Exactly. Two years. Does no, the UK okay. have like were- um like TVs and shit in their prisons? Because I know in like Denmark and the Netherlands and stuff, they have beds and rugs and like bookcases and shit. Yeah, and you a dude in a Denmark prison who was playing foosball and PS2 for like the he he was actually um let out without charge eventually but uh he just spent the time playing playstation so his life literally didn't change at all he just continued on with life playing video games <laughs> yeah pretty much i guess you, you know who i think is pretty progressive with the way that they handle cyber crime um i heard about the netherlands what they're doing is a program where like if you get caught doing cyber crime then you'll get sentenced like where you have to like go and fucking intern at like a tech company or something and you'll be like a powerpoint yeah, bitch yeah. or whatever you know, can you think... get arrested and get an internship at ibm i mean that's fucking guaranteed career path right there man right that's I what would... i'm saying i think it's a good idea though because obviously if you're getting arrested for shit like that you have a passion for tech and the best the best it people are ones who like are passionate about it and like the worst ones are the ones who treat it just like a job, in my opinion. True, but I think as well, like if you like if you put somebody who not everybody is thinks like that. You know, there's a lot of um, people on like skids and shit who are going to go out there. They're going to get access back to a computer, and then they'll just like they're like you can only touch the projector because you know they to touch computers or something, and then they'll like own the projector backdoor their IoT. Our topic we'll talk about later. Because it's not a computer, you know. Yeah. So I think it could be could be good for some people, but I think it needs to be evaluated. Like, is this person a danger still, or are they no longer a danger? Have they? Yeah. Should depend yes. depends on your personal ethics, really. Like, it should be a case by case basis. And but, I think that you know the the punishment for cyber stuff is just not fit to the crime. Like I'd say nine out of ten times. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm hearing the time for the UK and the Netherlands, but like you go back to Silk Road, and that's two fucking life sentences. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I know there's other complexities to it, but that was largely just meant as a deterrent. Like the judge admitted she was giving him an obscene amount of time. Which well, let's, fuck- don't forget Mitnick. Okay, they thought he could whistle new codes down the phone line. I'm like, come on. what's scary about the punishment for the computer fraud and abuse act is you can violate that by almost violating the terms of service of your employer uh, by browsing facebook on social media like that it's a really stretchy law it's really Mm -hmm. kind of um vague so maybe as a punishment forbidding somebody from owning technology in a technological world could be a very severe and isolating type punishment right now now maybe if you're a pedophile uh then, then you maybe should not be allowed to use those anymore. Right. That's an unhealthy right. obsession, and 
Speaking of yeah. which, Chator, um, not Chator, Taboulis, and a couple other Darknet child pornography sites have been getting shut down. Thank God. Mm. Did you see about um, back pages? Is that what it was? Back pages yeah, where they were like back page, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. so pure. That's fucked up. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it was yeah. Dan's tweet about the uh, filtering, right? Yeah, I was so behind them. Like I had their back, and then they're fucking sitting there taking keywords, scrubbing the fucking keywords out, and then posting the ads for yeah, kids dude, and stuff. That was so fucking funny when I read that. I was like, Jesus, like, at what <laughs> yeah. point are you complicit, you know? Like, Jesus. Like, right. but, okay, so, like, think about it like this from a developer's perspective, right? You have a list of, of words that shouldn't be on a web page, and you want to remove them, right? And you think of all this bad shit, blah, 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 and you come up with words like, I don't know, just cuss, cuss words, whatever, like, you put them in the list, and you're putting them in, putting it in, you're removing them so that, that your ads are, like, less explicit, okay? But then you think of the word, like, underage, right? Or something like that, and you're like, hang on a minute, does this belong in this fucking word list, or do we make a different word list that, like, stops that content altogether, rather than just, like, part of the same list that scrubs, you know? That's where I think maybe they just didn't use their brain or didn't care. I don't know if they didn't care or didn't use their brain. Probably not using go. their brain, just looking at money? What? You, what? you mean 90% of programmers? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, 90% of programmers not using their brain. But I can see where the, like, the spawn maybe came from, but then there's no excuse. Like, there's absolutely fucking no excuse for thinking of the word underage and then just, like, scrub, like not thinking, wait, we need a different feature for that. Well, what's really interesting, though, too, yeah. is that that's, that stuff, I mean, I used to, like, look at all the different sites like Craigslist and Backpage and other ones to see, like, what kind of, I, mean, I used to track a lot of phone scams, and so there was a lot of stuff where it, it's almost like, it reminds me of, like, the, the filter evasion with, like, LeetSpeak, you know, so people were doing, um, you know, em emojis instead of, like, you know, oh, 300 rose emojis for your, you know, whatever. You know, that those kind of things evade filters and stuff. And there's so many different weird, stupid little tricks that I feel like would be they, uh, more difficult to actually recognize. Yeah. The they were doing that for prostitution on uh, Tinder and, like, dating apps. It would be like, mm -hmm. for 300 roses, you could have me for an hour. Yeah. Still trying to meet Tina. I don't know where she is. Yeah. <laughs> is not Tinder, like... Tinder's like guaranteed smash, isn't it? Like all you gotta really oh, do no. is like pay for a date. So right, before you just had two kids. <laughs> <laughs> right, and that's that's what I'm saying. Like I never did Tinder. I I got married before the whole Tinder thing became popular, and I was like, whatever, go get that. Honestly, yeah. um, Like I know that uh, some guys were at Tinder bots where it just swiped on everyone, and then just waited. He just like filtered through. Um, like whoever swiped back, it just swiped on everyone all day, 24 hours a day, and like, but yeah, you can't do that anymore. Yeah, uh, I definitely know people. Guaranteed the, smash. Uh, the dating rabbit hole, we should get on to the next topic, which I don't know if you guys saw this, but today, um, some people had BGP hijacked some Amazon routers and used it to steal a bunch of Bitcoin wallets. My, yeah, my Ethereum that, wallet that or something that like I that. Linked today? Yeah. Route D2 stuff? Yep. It was an Ethereum wallet, right? It was a, mm -hmm. and like people were getting alerts about like the HTTPS certificate <laughs> being invalid and they're like, whatever, proceed. Yep. I think, <laughs> I also think that's a few images for you, man. Talking about that, that even if like that, because it was like a huge data reroute, wasn't it? 
Right. These, these well, are the people that respond to the things that are under John McAfee's tweets, and uh, they send them. <laughs> yeah. Um. Remember, like that fake Elon Musk Twitter account, and the Bitcoin address that it posted had over like two thousand dollars received. Like, how fucking dumb can people be? I love it. I, love I think when uh, also like so BGP is um. It's horribly like, bad and old. It's trust based though, right? So like I trust my peers. Like that's the crux of it here. Is like, you know, once you become a trusted peer, like what's stopping you from doing whatever? Like those ISP in Australia who were just like they're just not like renowned for being dumb and they're like, Yeah, yeah, we just rat half of the internet through us and um broke the internet half. <laughs> sounds, like, sounds like a good idea. Yeah, great it's idea. Also, like, it's also pretty dark too because even if you have one of those trusted providers, um, I've heard attacks on those specific providers where they would submit documentation claiming ownership of an IP when they never really had ownership, and there's no verification or second steps involved in that paperwork process to let that IP address be routed through that trusted peer. It's pretty fascinating. I actually never heard that angle before. Is that like generally how people are doing it, or are they doing? Uh... That's how doing? that's how Money Team yeah. did it, and I'm kind of snitching on them because they they oh, fucked really? me over. But yeah, they 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 have the IP address one dot three dot three dot seven right now. It's a Teamspeak server, still. Is oh, it live right now? That's cool. Cool. Yeah, I think so. If anyone wants to give no, them a love that's tap, that's you know, it'd be great. Wasn't that IBM? <laughs> it was onto some IP that... out of China or Asia. Yeah, I thought that was China. IBM's block. I don't know. Seven is uh, some Chinese uh, group, but one 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 is uh, Cloudflare now. Yeah, that was a late Cloudflare. Very nice. Uh, did you guys see the? Um, there's a, a report that was kind of funny to me that I put in the um, the notes there. That was the car theft kit for sale on Amazon, and it's just a whole. Um, it's a little piece on how um, Amazon basically facilitates. I don't really facilitate because all the stuff is, is pretty open, but there are some kits, I guess, that are going for Amazon on Amazon and eBay that are just basically a lot of the you know POCs that we've seen from other researchers about breaking into cars. Um, but I guess they're just selling them as a little kit for whoever wants it. Yeah. Yeah, and if you use the uh, coupon code Thug Crowd, you get fifteen percent off. I think. Uh, <laughs> I think we reached peak capitalism. Yeah. Is that so true? Side note, side note of that, right? Did you guys hear about like how Amazon will deliver to your car now? Like they'll put the packages in your car. Oh Jesus Christ, no! today. So, um, just on the car thing though, there was a video that came out a few, uh, probably a month, a couple of months ago now, where um, some criminals in the UK were using relay boxes for uh, the more advanced keys that require. Um, proximity and so one of them has the you know I, I, I can only assume it's some kind of like SDR type thing like I don't, I don't really know what they are or just some maybe some like static frequency radio thing I know they're you know they are yeah it's uh, really what it is it's kind of like a RFID technology where the car will actually chirp out beacons so what, what it is you got to pass a listening device in your key fob and it goes like listens through these things and as soon as it actually listens for it, it does a little handshake, and then your car will authenticate with it. All that does is just pretty much bridge a gap. So you got the radio for the uh, the key fob, and then you got another radio that actually links the two devices, so you can bridge the distance between the two. 
Right, yeah, so they, they relay that with, uh, I guess, so it's just an amp and some passive thing. Stand, like some guy stands near where, you know, the keys will be closest in the house and then the other guy opens the car and they drive off. Hmm. Elite. It's just interesting that they... Are they still running like on 433? Dead. Yes. Did you uh, see what I said? No. Uh, look at your DMs. <laughs> so I really want to buy one of these kits now, just because it has a novelty of saying it breaks into cars. I mean, everything else is like, oh, buy these lockpicks for lock support because it's a fun activity. No, this is more fun. Yeah, I definitely think that we should sponsor some of these kits. Um, this one and some of the skimmer kits uh, use the promo code uh, thugcrowd420. <clears throat> but you got the, the, <laughs> the other thing in the, uh, in the notes list here where um, the Chinese uh, company Kihu360 um, said they found a uh, zero day in Microsoft um, in Internet Explorer and they are not telling anybody how it works. What the fuck? Internet Explorer is vulnerable? What the fuck is this? I know, right? Well, <laughs> it, it's, just, it's interesting that there's people that are... It's, it's an Internet Explorer, even though Edge has been superseding it, and people are still using it. It just seems interesting at this point. It's like, okay, you found this, but... So what, people what was interesting, it? though? Like, CVE 2014 huh. Come on. CVE <laughs> 2014, dude. Like, and, yeah. What oh, the other funny thing about that was, um, if the article is the article linked into Discord, um, I just put um, it. Not, not, Look, we all want to steal cars, so we need this fucking link. Is that's um, yeah, bro? Because Internet of Things and cars use Internet Explorer. Yeah, all the cars I mean, use Internet Explorer Seven. <laughs> actually, I think Tesla were using uh, Ubuntu machines like fourteen oh four or something a while back. Oh. But yeah, oh. but um, in this article, it's actually pretty funny because there's a there's this diagram that explains how this like um, DLL injection works across like multi parts. Like it seems it's got like an image document function some different components right and it says they're not telling how they anyone like telling anyone how they do it but it's got this like really complex diagram but the the reason why that i can't read this is because it's in chinese oh, you also gotta remember that i can probably read it out you also gotta remember that quantum 360 is also a state-sponsored research group yeah, yeah. Um, looking for the dissidents what the fuck they go after weekend I don't think that the state should be involved in privately funding or publicly funding any research. I think that should be done by the private industry. It's China, bro. They don't have a choice. I mean, wasn't China also, um, they, were, they stopped disclosing certain vulnerabilities, meaning that they would disclose certain ones to the public that the world knew about, but for anything else, I think this is just an example of them hoarding zero day. Yeah, it kind of seems like they're posturing in a way, though, right? For sure. What, you mean China posturing? Oh, no way, man. The whole, like, do they really need to? Because legit, every fucking piece of hardware that we buy comes from them. So, I mean, we could be owned from fucking day one. <laughs> that's the real, that's, the real zero day is all the, all the CPUs that Microsoft is Right, using. yeah. It's just made it's by China. It's the firmware stack, dude. It's like... Like, it's hard to buy a good phone these days. I just bought a Moto phone, and that ships right out of uh, China, right out of Lenovo. And Lenovo's got a great reputation for installing backdoors on people's hardware. So. True. ThinkPads. 
Um, member so Superfish. If, you, if oh, you're a funny. member of um, a member of a research company like like Kihu 360 or Tencent or Azimuth or Zerodium, and all of your customers are government, um, doesn't that make you, by definition, state sponsored? Even if you are a private entity. Yeah. <laughs> uh oh. So if, if if Azimuth or Zerodium, just to use two of our friends' equivalent companies. Um, if they did the same thing, if they came out with an announcement, said we have a zero day in uh, all version of iOS, whatever, or Windows, whatever, uh, how would we react to that? Well, actually, that happened already. So if you recall, there was the uh, presentation on malware drop, which was the bug in iOS where you could, um, you could airdrop a file that would be extracted to a temporary location that you could control. It was a bug chain, obviously not a single bug. You, you could uh, extract it to a location that you could control on the file system, regardless of if the user accepted or not. And then, uh, like the mechanism is, if you decline it, it removes this like um, compressed file, but it automatically uncompresses it to a location. You could replace the phone app, crash the springboard, the springboard restarts, and now your phone app is the exploit. So. And that was released by one of those companies at a conference, and yeah. So I think how, how do we react should, to that? <laughs> should ship with SE Linux properly configured, just for oh. starts. I don't think but, any researcher, any, whether it's a commercial researcher hired by a company like Kihu or an individual, is under any obligation ever to disclose a bug to a vendor, ever, full stop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, the graph's pretty fucking stupid. Uh, and Chinese are basically, a bunch of steps are basically just saying, oh, low-level uh, compiling or like um, low-level working. That's basically all it's saying. Okay. So, so I think really... half of the shit in there can be cut out. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, Should when it comes to wireless, as well. like if you're, if you're attacking wireless baseband stuff, you're, you're going right for the hardest stuff, right? So how do, you, how do we start kind of fixing that? It doesn't seem like there's any fix in sight seems like it's just going to keep happening. Well, one of the things about many manufacturers, Broadcom, Atheros, whatever, like those baseband type uh, modules, uh, they're their own firmware. Like you don't, you don't get to see them. You can see everything. Sometimes you can't even see like the chip one level up is like totally black box, right? They're like, here's the bootloader, make an image out of this. That's all you get. Yeah, that's what the CIA exploited um, in their Vault 7 uh, exploits. I mean, uh, the fucking TV one that could listen into uh, anyone in the room. I think that was firmware based, right? Nope. Oh, really? Wow. Well, <laughs> it's uh... like Weeping Angel or whatever. What? Lyro? I, I didn't hear you, sorry. I said, wasn't that called like Weeping Angel? The the phone? I mean, yeah. The, the... Yes. It was like Weeping Angel. I thought uh... that one was called Pooping Catfish. That was it? <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely pooping catfish. Definitely. Yeah, if crazed yeah, wasn't APT. Hey, so we got another thing um, that relates to this, where the FDA uh, in America is trying to get uh, basically different regulation or new regulations on um, medical devices for security, and uh, one of the big parts of it is they are trying to get device makers to create a software bill of materials. They'll be able to show what software you know actually goes into the product which is something that we we're discussing before and definitely to discuss later as far as supply chain and you know different firmwares that may or may not be 
backdoored in some fashion, um, but do go into some really critical stuff that we have in hospitals and all over the world. That's super That's interesting. A great idea. So it's like a nutritional fact. Yep, exactly. For your fucking software. Well, it, uh, so the last time I was in hospital, even though I was totally incapacitated, I was surrounded by like Windows 7 machines that appeared to be unpatched. And yep. that was scary as hell, but I was couldn't do anything about it, you know? Yeah. Like, so uh, hopefully this kind of thing and, and looking towards this will get hospitals up to speed before they get ransomware again. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see how this is going to work out with the HIPAA laws because there's actually a whole rule set in place when it comes to like how HIPAA handles software and it'll be mm -hmm. kind of fun to watch this. So what if you're in the hospital and you can't pay your bill, so you just ransomware the hospital to pay your bill? <laughs> like, yeah, that's... Hold on, I'm writing this down because my favorite organization right there. Start over. This is confusing. Uh, so, so we're hurt. So you're hurt. I, well, no, you're you're hurt, and then you get fixed by by magical doctor fixing. And they're like, "Hey, your insurance didn't cover any of this. Get fucked, kid. Your bill's twenty grand." And you're just like, "Okay, hold on. I'll be right back. I gotta go to the bathroom." And you walk up to any terminal. Throw a flash drive in and ransomware their whole network. I mean, so, I'm, not, I'm not a lawyer, but that sounds illegal. I, I mean, I'm not illegal. saying do this. I'm just saying <laughs> theoretically, if someone so, wants to do this, you heard it here first. They have no they have no protection against this. Like, a crowd does not condone uh, ransoming hospitals to pay. I'm not so saying not way, uh, at all. Right there, of all places. <laughs> When, when the wife and I were checking into the hospital to have, you know, the babies, right, there was this sign hanging up, like, as we're giving our insurance information and shit to the, to the woman, the receptionist, there's a sign that says, like, co-pays are due when, you know, services are rendered, and, like, there's this whole fucking warning about it and shit, and I'm just thinking to myself, I'm like, okay, when they deliver these babies, I know it's going to cost me a shitload of money, because insurance is the biggest fucking scam ever in America, and... I'm not going to have that fucking money to pay. So it's like, at that point, what do we do? Do we start haggling on how much they want for the kids? You know what I mean? Like, I, maybe they'll take one. Can you leave one on layaway? Well, that's the thing, right? Because I've had two. So I'm like, well, here, you know, we'll do like a fucking timeshare or something. You know what I mean? You can have one for a little while, do pitches with them or whatever. And then, you know. Like, so, I mean, I don't, I don't understand that. Like, I, I just think like, it, it is an opinion thing, but I think like, you know, in a medical environment, like, you know, if you're giving people help for health reasons, you shouldn't be able to demand money. Like, you know, you need to pay me or else X, Y, Z. It's kind of just like, you know, it'd be really nice if you could pay me, but if not, then uncle Sam should cover me. You know what I mean? Okay. Given the that I've been paying taxes kind of since fucking 13. So, Chris, how this kind of works is whenever you go to the hospital, any life-saving activities, non-cosmetic, will be rendered if you cannot or cannot pay. And if you can't pay, then it kind of goes into the whole collections hold, and they'll try to figure out if they're actually worthwhile and actually giving you money. Nine, out of ten, nine times out of ten, people can't pay. And usually what happens is the collection agency is spending more money trying to get money that they know they can't get, and then it kind of just goes away after a while. Yeah, that's what's going to happen in this scenario. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm letting you know, I hope that none of the hospital administration are subscribers to our podcast. 
But uh, so, um, you know how horrible it would look if it just let your two twins die right after that. It's like, yeah, he didn't have the money. I don't know. We just yeah. threw him in the not, no, I mean, not obviously, ask, I'm not right. gonna let him. I'm not gonna let him die. But I mean, while I'm like paying for diapers and fucking, you know, all the shit that you gotta pay for with kids, because there's a lot of it. Everybody keeps fucking telling me. And you should like I'm right along blaming them for like right, yeah, right. like I never fucking asked you for this. It's like, goddamn it, Christ, why did you ever have sex? You fucked the assault. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, is like, you know, I was I wasn't we weren't trying to like my wife and I for like the first year of marriage, we were trying to be pregnant and it just wasn't happening. So I just assumed like, okay, all those years of drinking Mountain Dew has fucked me over and I'm shooting blanks and I was like Whatever, I'll just fucking have fun. I'll bust nuts. Just whatever, you know? Turns out, I've got quite a fucking potent load, and now I have twins. So, <laughs> you know, that whole Mountain Dew thing is a myth, P.S., everyone. And uh, this smoking great weed story as well. Brought, is, brought I, I actually think smoking weed actually helps with fertility. I have no medical background to justify that statement, but I have twins now. So, there you go. HealingAuras.com. All right. Hey, so we have a, a uh, another one um, in the medical sector, as we're still talking about the hospital and potent loads. There is a new strain of, or there's a, a, a hacker group that has been attacking X-ray and MRI machines um, and doing a bunch of dirty work. Have you guys seen that article? I'm posting that one in the uh, um, That's fucking terrifying. I mean. Imagine if you're in an MRI machine that was rooted and, you know, they gave you too much uh, and they fucking like, wait, no, MRI machines don't use radiation. Like, it was an X-ray no. machine. Magnetic no. resonance imaging. They give you, like, fucking so, cancer. With, a magne- <laughs> with, with an MRI machine, that, that's got, like, a, a large, heavy spinning component. Am I wrong? It's got a yeah, magnet. It yeah, it's pretty yeah. Big electromagnet. So, but if you can control that, like, that's pretty scary. Like, it could, could physically be damaged. Well, you're so you're, oh, yeah. I, I walked away. Yeah, they literally specifically tell you not to wear metal. Did this actually happen? Like they, they're actually doing it. Yeah, they've they've uh, been detected in a couple different places. They've been using the same malware, uh, Quampers. Quampers. It's a rat tool that they've been um, installing on these machines here. So yeah, they are you saying the name? So the name is Quib. My, my first question here with this whole thing is. How do you get authorization to get into the room to install this? Like, right. I mean, it could as, be as far as I know, before, aren't most hospitals closed off? Before no. you go into the MRI, you just say, "Hey, can you plug in my USB thumb drive <laughs> to the MRI machine first, please?" Well, I, I don't. Are we able to get through a hospital, dude? There's, there's no security in hospitals. There's people everywhere. Well, yeah, but yeah, like, yeah. there there are rooms you cannot go in. Like, I have tried. Trust me. I think most They're of the networks are probably me. isolated by department. So if you're in a specific anyway, this would this would be a network-based attack against like a management machine. It wouldn't be someone physically cracking open an X-ray machine and plugging in a USB drive. That's ridiculous. Yeah. So like, I got, so uh, I was with a friend who was having a baby, and the labor was quite long, and um, he was obviously also into the computing. And we're sitting there sort of, he's in and out of the, in and out of the labor because it's taking so long, like many hours and shit. And he just pulls out an EEPC at the time and just like jacks the network socket and just starts scanning the hospital. Nice. So I like if you... my favorite part was the computing. That was awesome. <laughs> 
yeah, it's just like, mm, I'm just going to scan, start scanning this, uh, this hospital. I was like, dude, but you're like, your, your partner's having a baby. And he's like, yeah, but how long is it going to take? We've been here for ages. Yeah. Imagine that, like, daddy, here you go. Do you want to hold the baby? It's like, oh, shit, mate. I just got root. Hold on. Oh, found this sick bomb. Hold on. Wait a minute. Oh, yes. Yeah, right. Oh, fuck. They're using IE. Hold on a second. Um, but, yeah, so, like, this this MRI thing, it's, like, clearly an off-the-shelf APT, right? Like, it's not – it's just some guys that are probably going to end up in jail, I guess. Yeah, Yo, dude, it's fucking just bullshit, though. And if they get caught, like, if if people – in any community, like white hat, black hat, whatever, figure out who it is. I think they have a, they have a responsibility to knock them. I think everybody probably wants to fuck them. Who attacks hospitals? Come on. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. Like you can like overdose people on radiation and shit. That's fucking nice. Like when, even when those people ransomware the hospitals, like you know they weren't very favorable amongst you know hackers. So. So how about um those drip machines? cool if you're like stealing information but if you're literally killing people that just yeah that's crossing the line that's poor taste i feel like i feel like all hackers have that like there's a line that you just don't you don't so to bleed into to bleed this into our topic of the week without getting to our topic of the week yet iot if you recall barnaby jack um that was the what he was going to yeah, R.P. Barnaby Jack. He he was going to be to talk about um, uh, pacemakers. Um, so which is basically you know that's an IoT device inside somebody, um, and hacking pacemakers. And then you know he died before that before he could talk about it. Which is- in my opinion, like all the fucking all the fucking software for that should be open source because that that's I people's think- lives are fucking right there. Well, yeah, right. that, that, the whole actually original thing, which oh. is. The- the table of contents or whatever, so that it's it is auditable. You know, it needs to be. But people think that just because something's open source, that it's just automatically more secure. But don't forget, there were bugs in OpenSSH for like thirteen fucking years, and there were loads of eyes on it. You know yeah, what I mean? And, and, and OpenSSL and, and everything else as well as time went on. Right. So you know, and it's not even like you know, like even you see, oh fuck, I'm trying to remember that that one line of code where like it was an if statement and the way that it was set up, I can't remember what it was in. It was open source software, but the way that it was set up, it was like, was this malicious or was this just a mistake? You guys uh, know what there was one was? Of, uh, go to file, go to bill. Was it, was it uh, open SSH username or some shit like that? I think it was like the username there was, check. There was an open SSL bug where there was they didn't use brackets and the second line uh, below an if statement was indented to the same indentation at level as the first. And I believe that was a similar method in a similar function across uh, like the, the Mac OS, whatever their library was as well. If that's what you're thinking of. Anyway, so if, you, if you read it, it looks right until you notice there's no curly brackets around it. Yeah. There's a big um, intellectual property issue over things like medical devices, because if you open source your medical device, then China starts printing them out of plastic for 10 cents each, and suddenly your $10,000 pacemaker is worth $20 on Alibaba. Yep. Not if Shkreli has anything to do with it. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, you know, it's funny, like in a purely capitalistic society, like which, you know, America is supposed to be like, even if that does happen, it's like, whatever, bitch, get good. Like, <laughs> that's capitalism. Somebody sold it for cheapest and now fuck off, make something better. You know? Yeah. There's a work in the US. You've got to sue everybody. But they don't listen to that yeah. shit in China. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hey, so there's a new uh, tool that I've been meaning to check out. I just saw it today. I think uh, Kindergroup shared this. It's the IoT Inspector from Princeton's Computer Science Department. They basically had analyzed a bunch of uh, IoT devices, and they have this project to basically do massive audits on common IoT devices, um, which is something that I wanted to share with you all. So pointing that in the chat here. Um, but yeah, if anybody has any, you know, tools as we move to our, our topic of the week that people can use to audit their own devices safely, um, that'd be awesome. So just wanted to share that. Yeah, I got one called FTP. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. Uh, NMAP. Yeah, just NMAP so, that shit. I mean, so like I, I was working on a, um, this, I, I rooted a, uh, an aircon module this week that I, that I own. Um, but obviously the firmware is the same across the board. And, um, really the, the method was get UART chained, like edit bootloader, get root, look around, oh, look bugs everywhere. Like 2.6 kernel from 2013. Have fun. Oh, that's a, nice. Seems like, like let me go use any exploit or from exploit DB cause they'll all fucking work. <laughs> Well, yeah, I actually, so the one that um that I've been uh, attacking is just a web server on port eighty. It's the it's the um, uh, BusyBox uh, THDPD, and it runs a CGI like it's got CGI bin set up with a bash script, and um, there is an eval on all get parameters whether they're used or not. <laughs> oh, as oh my god, it's fucking like, amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I planned on releasing it during the show, but I got really lazy this week. I was kind of busy with some other stuff, and I will put it out in the next few days. Oh, LG's awesome. um, LG's dis uh, responsible disclosure is a request through HackerOne, and they will give you thanks. And thanks is not money, so <laughs> it will probably go straight to GitHub. Perfect. Uh, all right, before we get to the topic of the week, let's go over the two fails of the week that are kind of related to each other and also related to you, Chris. Uh, so the first one was that this uh, newborn care website leaves their database um, of medics, doctors, etc. wide open. Um, is this, I wasn't sure, MG, is this, this is the one that we were also looking at before, correct? Correct, yeah. There was like, I don't know, 13,000 uh, individual records up on that site. Yeah, that was pretty wild. Then I saw this other one that was on Krebs. It said that there was a transcription service that leaked medical records also on their site. Um, and it just had a bunch of um, directory listings and people could just kind of go through and check out some uh, private data they shouldn't be checking out. Oh, nice. <laughs> Very similar in nature. Yeah. Sitting up on an open directory. So my, my wife signed up for this thing where they'll take pictures of the baby and they'll like put them up on a website and like family members can buy it and shit. And she's like, do you think I should do it? And I'm like, probably fucking not, babe, because that site's probably fucking trash. And she did it anyway. So I'm, I'm looking to see what happens with this. Um, obviously, I'm not going to patent test it because that would be illegal without consent. But 
you know, somebody can do it. Well, yeah, yeah. Yes. I mean, Ever. Seems, yep. It just seems silly that there's these kind of fails that happen. When we were talking earlier about HIPAA and, and stuff. It's it's like, why do you have it on your, on your like, in a web directory? You know, and why, like, it just seems, like, really wild that a lot of the, the way that a lot of the stuff is actually set up. Because um, mm-hmm. it affects, like, you know, doctors. It affects patients. And it's just, like, it's such a grievous breach, you know? So it just seems that, I don't know, we should be taking a little bit more care of it. It's so there was like some, um... pure negligence. It should be rewarded yep. with. At what point? At, does... at whatever point. So you, do you, did you guys know about EDRS in the States? No, what's that? No, what's up? Uh, electronic death registration system. We don't oh, have yes. that, I don't think. So yeah, do we, we have, have that? Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's similar. So is this a uh, social security death database? So basically you can register people as dead. Uh, if you want more details on it, there's a talk but from DEF CON 23 maybe by a guy yeah. called Chris Rock. Yes. And he goes through how to um, how it works, what it is. And it's just, again, another medical fail that I thought might be relevant. It's kind of more of a social so, engineering project where you're just submitting paperwork from uh, seemingly legitimate sources just to say someone's dead. Well, right. that was but done already they, in Hackers. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Angelina Jolie figured that one out. <laughs> um, but yeah, like the the database on doctors is like basically the information you need. But most of it's public, but that's the information you need to sign up to that system as a doctor and go on as a doctor. So, huh. pretty simple. A lot of those uh, licenses are actually public available. So anything you get, like an EMT, paramedic, or doctor license, you can actually do a lookup on them. That's that's not really surprising. Like a lot of stuff is like that. Like um, you know the lawful intercept for like cell co providers. You know, like if you want to do like a GPS lookup on somebody's fucking phone and shit, it's pretty easy. Not saying that I've ever done it or that anyone in here would do something like that. Know that we can do it, but oh it would be really fucking easy to like you know spoof a fucking uh exigent circumstances request you know for a lawful intercept to pretty much any cell code so, if you um, just like google the right shit you can find the form so so working in the telco industry um i sat next to a guy who actually processed those forms and his job was uh get ticket do whatever it's already paid for by whoever submits the ticket and then put it back up like re- return them the response that was it there you go. It's just that simple. Yep. Like when I was really young, I didn't I didn't believe I was on a conference call and uh somebody was talking about doing that. And I was like, there's no way. Here's my phone number. And yeah, they they had my docs like within a minute. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's pretty efficient. Good, good, good shit. Alright, hey guys. You guys uh ready to jump into our talk of the week? Sure. Cool. Fucking do it. Let's jump into it. Let's go, boys. Let's do it. All right. So, I'm trying to think of a good transition. But, like, I guess. Uh, so, yeah, it's about time. We're talking about our favorite topic ever, which means 
ISA security, it kind of comes back to pretty much everything that we ever discussed. Um, IoT things and projects that have kind of brought a lot of us together here. Um, so with all this, I really want to sort of highlight a lot of us who have done pretty extensive research into IoT security and everything from reverse engineering to the pitfalls of trying to report things to, you know, basically the whole gamut of um, dealing with this sad state of affairs that can be IoT security. So uh, basically what I'm going to try to do is ask some quest some general questions and have us kind of discuss that um, and some of our projects that we've worked on and um, see if we can kind of go from there. So I guess I'll start off with this because I don't want to single anybody out for anything, but I guess I can ask the first one, which is, what are some of the major security fails that you have found in IoT? Scanf. Hmm? Being connected to the internet. So I see a uh, lot of telnet. Bootloaders. Default so, passwords. Like yeah. kernel passwords. Uh, sorry, kernel parameter uh, manipulation, like single user mode, low low in. Super no fucking problem. old open source fucking shit that you can find on GitHub that's just been fucking like it's been patched, but they just have like a super old version thereof. Yeah. I mean, these are, I feel like a lot of these things that we talk about are things, you know, a lot of stuff that, that appears in IoT are things that were on the internet, you know, 15 years ago, you know, mm -hmm. with kernel yep. bugs from over 15 years ago that are, are being affected on and being used on products that are being shipped all over the place. Um, so does anybody want to discuss any projects that I guess they've done where they have found a failure and tried to report it or go through the whole process of actually trying to get somebody to understand the significance of it? Uh, yeah, I did um, a fixed wireless terminal which is a router that sits in a network that um, is basically a backhaul. It has uh, 3G on one side and it has ADSL on the other side, like, like POTS slash ADSL with like a, a CMUX, uh, not CMUX, uh, um, CMUX on the other side. And, um, and yeah, it's got a couple of different things like uh, an ethernet loop, which goes around and there's like six of these routers that sit in a box in the middle of the, like the outback, right? Mm -hmm. with a solar panel and a battery and then uh so they backhaul on 3g and then you the sim card that's in them um gives a phone number back to like the farmers they run they run a copper pair out to like some farmers and farmers get adsl on phone and have no idea 3g's involved um once you're actually on that network you could udp broadcast um a message that would uh, hit Python's, uh, well, two, two bugs. One of them was unpickle and one of them was eval, literally one line after the other. Um, and that was running as root. So what I was able to do was able to UDP broadcast, like obviously in a lab, like I had these in a lab, I don't do crimes, blah, 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 all that. Um, I had four of them set up in a lab and I UDP broadcasted and they, they all took my command. Um, now, the reason I had access to them was I was actually being contracted to do something to do with the power management because when they lock up in the bush, the one they don't they obviously don't send the tech into the middle of nowhere. The one next to it is its watcher, and it will it has a second circuit 
um, that has connection to a relay that when that relay is powered, it's power cycles the, the device. Um, the downfall in this design was the master of, of this six devices wasn't able to be power cycled by anything else. So they hit me up, they're like, can you figure out this power cycle anyway? So I figured it out, did all this, find this exploit, uh, find this vulnerability, write a POC, and this is like over a weekend. And so I hit up uh, that particular telco's head of engineering, head of mobile engineering, and I was like, yo, this is really bad. You can intercept calls, you can make calls, you can make an Insta botnet on your network, all these things. And they sort of just shrugged it off. Um, the guy was like, You had a so. scope. You had a scope, no. mate. No, I wasn't out of scope. I was fine. I was fine to research. I did it all in my own thing. It was fine. But the guy didn't understand, right? So fast forward a couple of years. And um, I spoke to one of the security people who I know socially at that company. And he was like, it was a Friday night. We were out at the pub. And, and um, I was like, oh, did you ever see that exploit? I sent a pop through. He's like, nah, uh, send it through on Monday. And I was like, yeah, okay. I send it through on Monday. Five minutes later, he's on the phone. He's like, holy shit, we're going to fix this right now. Um, and they were really good about fixing it once I spoke to the right person. Um, the company who actually designed the device were giving them like a two-year timeline to patch. And the, the telco pushed back and said, no, this needs to be like much, much quicker than that. And it did happen quicker than that. Um, in the end, they were kind enough to let me do a presentation about it. There's a news article about it somewhere that's kind of half interesting, but I just told you the story anyway. Um, and then in return, the legal team for the company blacklisted me forever working for them for a period of time after. So that was pretty interesting. Name and shame. Name and shame. It's all on the internet. You can find it. But um, that, that, that's the story of the, the more technical side. So hanging around, like looking through a device, finding something pretty critical, trying to disclose it as responsibly as possible, and just sort of until you find the person who knows what you're talking about, like everyone's just like, so what? It's yeah, really that's sad. a really, really big thing that has just plagued so many different researchers on trying to actually be responsible and try to, you know, take a proactive approach to a lot of this stuff. It, it's very, very difficult to find the right person to talk to. And even when you do, sometimes they don't exactly trust you or believe you, or even they might not understand. Right, yeah. So I remember being with the, with the actual mobile engineering guy. Um, he had a he said, "I've got one on my desk right now. Can you log into it?" And I was like, "Yep." He gave me the IP. Obviously, I logged in, and um, I'm like, "Okay, I'm logged in. I'm going to write a file to temp as root right now. Look in the temp directory, and can you see it?" And he's like, "Yep," and still didn't get it. Jesus wow, that's that's amazing. Yeah. There, there so, seems to be if you're ever feeling the this is this is evidence that imposter syndrome. If somebody is is running that kind of stuff <laughs> and running running and doesn't understand the fucking ramifications of that, that's uh that says something. Yeah, I mean, um. I um I did I audited a, a TP-Link uh, range extender, and I found a stack uh, a, st a stack overflow, and basically you know um uh, I emailed them and they told me to go away and I emailed them like three more times and they were like yo this isn't important can you please fuck off so I was like hmm. so do we need like a thugcrowd.com slash uh, 
exploits. Is that is that what we got to do? Yeah, we maybe, probably yeah, should do that. Maybe even uh, yeah. find an advocate. Yeah, we would need to get like a legal person if we were gonna do shit like that can, to make can sure. We get a lawyer up for this bitch. Yeah, like somebody who can give us some help, please. Where's that? Where's that DA we had? <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, I think that a, a, you know, there's a there's a really hard. I'm just trying to think of how to put it into words that don't, don't sound weird, but sometimes you have to really escalate stuff beyond um, the company themselves that you're dealing with or the customer of a product, because sometimes there are things that affect way more than their, like way more than the actual scope of what you're seeing right there. So an example, I guess, um, as a fuel system that I had found remote root vulnerability in and I had tried to report it to the come to the customer who you know has no idea what I'm saying when I'm you know, telling them about I'm trying to put it into very very simple terms um, but through talking to the manager of the one of the gas stations to talking to the head of IT of the whole company to then trying to talk to the you know, everybody going up the ladder and the head of IT telling me that it's the fuel distribution company rather than the gas station's responsibility and then trying to contact them. You know, this whole nightmarish chain of events that I'm seeing happen as I'm trying to stop something from potentially being exploited, um, you know, it took me to have to escalate it to the division of standards, like government agency to be able to actually get something done about it because when you find like you know six thousand vulnerable fuel systems that are connected to like some pretty critical things it's tough to find the you can't i'm not going to make six thousand phone calls and have that conversation that i had that took a week to get one person to get back to me you know over and over again it's the disclosure the ability to disclose this kind of stuff is like very very difficult sometimes it makes it it almost impossible um without actually releasing you know an expert for it so um, yeah i mean i'm pretty i think um like when it comes to pocs and iot there's like this line that you can sort of guess which is um so like if i was the the wi-fi thing i was talking about before the air conditioner thing right if i was just to write a a thing that, um, oh yeah, if you drill a hole in it and then you solder some pins and then you do this, like everyone's going to be like, who cares? You got to do like all this work. You can't do it. But if you write like the POC sort of, if you write a POC that's like, you know, has a high score, it has like network access. Um, it's got uh, persistent access and, and a few other things like that. And then you can describe like, hey, look, this is like got all this really bad shit in there that is potential um, versus like, hey, you've got, you know, like uh, a low cow said before, you know, there's a stack overflow here. They're gonna be like, what the f what's a stack overflow? Like, what's the significance? You know what I mean? Like you might have it, you might be like, look, GDB 41, like EIP or so mine. And then I'll be like, mm, end. I mean, yeah. I think low hanging fruits always gonna be targeted first. You made the CVSS system that gives you a pretty good idea of how bad it is, but. I think any problems, you know, worth somebody's attention, regardless if the product's end of life or not. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, so plenty of XSS as well. Like when I was doing um, like distro reporting, there'd be an XSS, and I'd I'd want to rate the impact a little higher than what it would usually be rated. Um, and people would be like, "Why? It's just an XSS." It's like, yeah, but what happens when you know the the CSRF protection doesn't work, or the XSS allows you to get the token and you submit the form anyway? Like you know, this this crappy XSS becomes just a little bit more than like console log one or alert alert one or whatever, you know? Yeah. Did you guys? A lot of people discount XSS. They just think that it's nothing. But there's a lot you can do with it if you're clever. Did you guys see the motherboard article um, where uh, Stack Overflow and basically made a couple thousand printers, uh, receipt printers, print out uh, some ASCII art and shit? Yeah, I, think that, like, I mean, I think it's a pretty, it might not be illegal, but it's a, it's a good way of ensuring that people at least get their shit together. But, yep. Well, so that's the thing, right? Like without active exploitation and, and you don't necessarily need to commit a crime. You can, you can just send text out and if printers happen to be listening for text well then they print it that's, so that's still a that crime kind of, i think though yeah i think it is <laughs> but but you know I what though i had a client that that happened to I'm gonna advocate um, but i'm gonna say that active exploitation makes people patch shit quicker yeah oh yeah of course definitely so i don't know how much can i say there was some multifunction printers. <laughs> all and... of it. Say all of it. No, no, no. This is this is this is was, It's for work, so I I don't want to. I'm not gonna burn anything, but um. Fucking do there it. There was a multi. Shut up, Christ. Do it, guys. <laughs> I'm not it's the it. podcast. Do it. <sighs> I'm not. I'm not that thuggish. All right. The so world. anyway, um, multifunction printer. Okay, very expensive security solution. Blah 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 blah. And it's running again embedded like embedded Linux. This is what I find is really crazy about IoT is the difference between like so owning an embedded Linux like stupid device that has a USB port on the side that anyone can walk up to and plug into versus uh, and you know I retrieved sensitive data as part of a job. Okay, that's all. That's all I'll say on the rest of that. But that versus other types of IoT where they're using you know more like. Uh, they're building firmware. They're not. They're not building off a embedded Linux base. They're you know they're writing their own firmware. Things that we see in cars, things that we see in other devices. I think that that's a little bit more scary than the Linux stuff, because the Linux stuff you can write a patch for. There's there's package managers you can install in your kernel. Like you might need to have a build environment and some sort of delivery chain, some sort of over the, you know a lot of the time over the air type um, upgrades, but it's the it's the simpler devices I think that can be just as vulnerable, um, and way less obvious. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting dynamic because like in in the electric industry, right? There's a ton of SCADA that just runs on ridiculous old old stuff, right? And uh, that's super dangerous. Even just one or two. Um, you can also have millions of devices that are, are not all that important now presenting a huge risk to infrastructure for other reasons. 
Yeah. So like the, the difference between like an IoT, like a, like a, an IoT sort of embedded thing versus not like a, just like a simple SOC running a custom firmware or PLC SCADA stuff is that um, it's a little bit harder to use that as a backdoor or foothold or like a phone home later in the network. Whereas like <laughs> you pop a like Linux SOC, man, you just write a bash script that uses like slash proc and, and like BNSH and you're done, you know? Yep, yeah, printer, right? I mean, printers are nice footholds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like they, they sort of, while they've made it easier for the devs to dev whatever they're doing, it's also made it easier for the attackers. Whereas um, it's much harder to dev a proper, you know, a proper device with your own firmware. But then, you know, you might be exposing things like, you know, like buffer overflows 101 type deal, you know? So, so we've been seeing like this escalation of just garbage flying at us day after day, like more and more IoT garbage online. IoT so, stuff. Yeah, where, where does it go from here? So the, I'll give you the example of the absolute dumbest IoT device I've purchased with the intention of hacking it. Or the intention of, okay, I want to be careful here because my intention was not to do anything malicious. I just wanted to look at it and test it. The reason I say that is because it's a Bluetooth pressure cooker. Um, so I bought this Bluetooth pressure cooker and I actually use it to cook all the time. It's pretty sweet. But it has a whole bunch of mechanical uh, safeties in place so that the like the best at, at best, if you're an attacker, you could probably scold someone. Um, but that's it. You know, like you could probably put it into pressure mode instead of the slow cooker mode with the lid on without someone knowing and, and that's about as bad as it gets. But what I was really hoping to find was, you know, that it could be used for something more dangerous that I could then be like, hey, um, you know, this is a very dangerous thing to have on the market. It's, you know, connected to the, you can connect it to the internet and it can explode. Like they're two <laughs> things that should never happen, right? Bombs on the internet? Yeah, the hackers can turn your computer into a bomb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to, again, I just want to reiterate that my intention was never to make it into a bomb. It was simply research, and I use it for cooking, okay? You call me DNRC, I'll blow up your house, kiddo. That's how it's going to be. Do you, do you guys remember back in the day when you could spin people's A drives until they actually fucking shit the bed? Nobody's that old, What's man. <laughs> you, really? Are you, did, nobody else remembers. Dude, that? I was bored. I was bored after cassette tapes. Like oh I, I don't. I don't even know what a fucking. So Dude, I played actually, some games that blew my mind. That the CD drive popped open. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, click here for a couple. Click here. <laughs> so the next thing that we were gonna, or that I had here in our questions list were, what are some of the challenges to IoT security as a whole? Um, because we've talked about certain things like supply chain, certain things like um, the actual end user error and the difficulties with updating and patching, but so maybe you kind of want to expand on some of the more nuanced aspects of this. Because there's quite a lot of challenges and we can sort of shit talk people 
you know, in companies about the way that they respond to things. But I feel like there's a, a bunch of overarching challenges that make it really difficult for companies to actually do anything about the security. Um, I think that, like, if you take a Raspberry Pi, for example, okay, Raspberry Pi is a pretty good example for this. Now, Raspberry Pi is sold to you as an open source piece of hardware that you can go ahead and do make all these things with, right? Like, is that not what everybody knows RPI is? Yeah. Right, but if you actually have a look, the Broadcom chip, the bootloader, all that stuff is closed source and you can't get, you know, it's difficult to get the, the specs or any sort of data sheet out of it. So I think like the, the marketing aspect um, of a lot of like Broadcom, some Atmel um, and some other, other major chip manufacturers, um, the, the barrier is that the information is not always available about the like specifics of the hardware. They're trying to like store trade secrets and whatnot. And then that can lead to further, further issues that even if they did have a good update, like supply chain update, over the air updates, whatever, um, there might be some things that those developers just simply don't know about because they're trade secrets. Do you think OTA and uh, like automatic update is the best answer that we have though? It seems like it is. In, in, some of the, in some of the cases, like over the air updates are the only answer. Um, for example, uh, I worked on a project where we put um, sensors, well, these boxes that reported over like a 2G network or GPRS data um, in mining trucks. And there's absolute, like, if you want to drive, if you want to fly someone around, stop a mining site and like patch this like stupid Taiwanese box, like, good luck, have fun. Like, this is simply never going to happen. If with an over the air update system, you could, you know, uh, when the truck, wait till the truck is turned off, the device is still powered because it's on a separate circuit and it's low power or whatever. And then you could, you know, you could update it then safely. Um, one job I actually did for Ericsson, I upgraded, I don't know, the firmware on a good three and a half thousand routers using a, a system we built. And um, we did it with cables, plug, like plugged in cables, broke the bootloader, rewrote the serial numbers for them, did all this kind of stuff. And even doing it that way, we're talking about like, I think we ended up with a three, under 3% fail rate where three, like less than 3% of the devices were literally had to be thrown in the bin because the process just wasn't reliable enough. And that, that's just the nature of the hardware in that case. Mm-hmm. It's actually pretty successful though. That's a good... Yeah, 3% fail rate, it's nuts. Yeah, trust me, I work 12 hours a day in like the other side of the world and the back of a friggin' warehouse, it was, uh, I was pretty happy with 3%. <laughs> I think we have a bit of a problem with uh, a lot of IoT devices um, just ripping and stealing from each other's code bases. And quite often, you'll have a look at like a big brand name device. It'll have it'll have Huawei or something written on the outside, but when you actually look at the firmware, it's uh, it's exactly ninety percent of the code base is shared from like a, a D-Link firmware from eight years ago. It's publicly available and has all the same vulnerabilities. 
So that's actually interesting as well because um, a lot of uh, a lot like like the D-Link thing, like a lot of routers um, obviously run open source software and they don't release um, the, their software under the GPL like they're supposed to. Um, and there's been cases, I think with Netgear where they didn't do it or they did. I might be wrong. I don't want to shit talk Netgear if I'm wrong. But um, yeah, fuck yeah, so like, <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I can only shit talk what I can shit talk, but that the, there were certain tools like one written by Silvio that did um, uh, basically analysis on on binaries to look for reuse of libraries, statically linked libraries and stuff like that. And he ran it across a few major like desktop distros. I think what would be really interesting is running it across, you know, those router distros and just finding out exactly that, like getting some real figures on the stuff that Faith was just talking about. Um, Cause I, I'm gonna, I expect they're really high. Um, and those things, uh, and, and that particular tool was aimed at finding like GPL code in uh, code bases that were not released on the GPL, so. Just to bring it back to like the original question, um, I find that um, a lot of a lot of dumb, just like you were saying before, a lot of dumb stuff that was prevalent on the internet in the '90s, like default credentials and stuff. We keep finding this stuff in IoT devices. No one really cared about it until somebody uh, took it from proof of concept to botnet, and we had the Mirais, those kind of botnets. Um, we keep finding the same classes of vulnerabilities that were solved problems in in major OSs in in the late nineties, um, and they're just popping up again in in IoT devices and. I don't know whether it's from code reuse or because they're mostly hardware engineers and their only uh, interest in, in building a, a web interface is is to satisfy customers, so they just do the least work possible. I don't know. Um, but, but they're obviously not going through the same sort of rigorous testing processes that, that like a, a web server or a web application even would go through. Um, the software side of things on the devices is, is kind of an afterthought or just a tacked on kind of thing. They don't really care and they don't know. Um, we find like in, in IoT firmwares, you find really stupid stuff like uh, SSL private keys just openly available, like strings, hard-coded backdoor passwords, all of these things. We find them over and over and over again. Um, sometimes hard-coded credentials that worked on a modem from 10 years ago will pop up in a new 5G modem from a major vendor today. And uh, it makes you question like, where did this come from? Why have you guys got a backdoor that was found from uh, a vendor uh, of a completely different product 12 years ago, and you have the same hard-coded credentials in your SSH so, daemon? What's going on there? The, with the hard-coded credentials thing as well, it actually reminded me of, um, I think it's Netgear, which is, again, I'll just bag on Netgear, whatever. Yeah, and, fuck um, yeah, And so you can, uh, you can actually send like this, uh, it's like a UDP packet, I believe. Uh, or maybe it's, I can't, maybe it's not UDP, uh, whatever. Some, some lower uh, message that you can send across the network that contains hard-coded credentials in like a magic packet. And this magic packet just enables Telnet and that's it. And then you just log in. And like, if you Google like the model of the switch or whatever, it'll be like, oh yeah, it's like, um, like one of them was like Gearhead was the username and Gear Dog or something was password and 
once he once he sent that magic packet, which wasn't just like one switch, it was like that family of switches <laughs> and all related families. Then it's like, oh, until that's open now, just log in and do whatever. So, you know, sick recovery uh, mechanism. Were, were you the, able to see the, um, that one? Or sorry, sorry, MG. Go ahead, Dan. I was just asking if you were able to say the vendor on that one or not. Oh, I believe that was neck. I, I believe that was neck gear. No, no, that was just um, me trying to recover a switch. I just googled it, and there it was. Damn. No, the um, the repetition issue you're talking about. I saw that kind of in, in two different ways. Uh, of course, there's you know the IoT phenomenon where let's add internet to the thing we already have. Um, regardless of whether or not we need it, just, you know, it's a marketing thing, you know, it's on the internet. So, you know, you, you shoehorn the internet in and it's, there's not much security added to it, but there's also this cultural thing, uh, that seems to unfold in, uh, China quite a bit that I saw with these, you know, 10, $20, uh, spy cables, you know, the USB cables, you put a SIM card in it, do geolocation, you can hot mic it, spy on people. Uh, there were a lot of other, you know, form factors that this would go into besides the cables or some chargers or, you know, wristwatches to strap on your kid and track them. But the code base is where you could see the reuse happen. Is um, uh, Mitch um, was was doing a um, this guy on Twitter named Mitch um, did a lot of the research uh, on this, and I kind of just jumped into it initially because they were doing short linking. And the short linking, it was very clear you could enumerate these short links and then basically find out the GPS location of everybody. Um, this went much deeper. There were so many things like open directories with the uh, mic recordings, things like that. But there was a few dozen manufacturers that just copied the, the products. They would take the web app, clone it, stand up their own web server and put it up there. So you would see these small iterations of the code that would uh, be copied, tweaked, and then put up there. So fundamental security issues persisted and tracing that down was a pain in the ass. There was maybe like two active vendors who, who were responsive to that and wanted to actually fix it. The rest of them, were just trying to get razor thin margins so that they could resell these. There was no, I mean, there wasn't security. There wasn't even you know, customer service. There, there was nobody to, to receive this. So again, that, that issue persisted and it's, it's hard to get that to, uh, to be fixed. There, there's no, like in the open source movement where you can you know, roll things upstream, that, that doesn't exist. These are just like hard copies at that point in time where I don't, I don't know if they're licensing it or what, they're just duplicating it. And then forever it, it's stuck at that state. So I, I think, that, um, you know, the, the, oh, go ahead. I was going to say that that reminds me of uh sun, sun XI Linux. I don't know if it's supposed to be sun, sun 11 or like the term universe, sun, sun XI. Um, yeah. if you have, if you have a look at the, the QB, QB board series of products like QB board, QB truck, whatever. Um, the the latest one that I've seen was uh, an all winner A80 uh, processor, which was an octa core, uh, six CPUs, one VPU, and one GPU. However, if you wanted to run, uh, if you wanted to get hardware support for that, you had to run a specific kernel that used uh, some, some nice 
code straight out of China. And like they were using, like in the audio driver, I found um, uh, user, like user land C for some reason in kernel land. It was basically like sprintf, like a string that's like echo something like, uh, like it was like echo percent s, redirect dev uh, percent s, like tty percent s, something or other, and then passed it to system, like in the kernel in in oh, this, you know. That's I, nice of them. Why you would why you'd ever do that? I've, I've got no clue. I don't I could I don't know if you could actually trigger it from anywhere, but that was in kernel code, and it only all those that hardware support was only for the kernel that was current at the time that the device was manufactured. And then there was no further updates after that. So again, like, yeah, like you were saying, um, who do you contact, who do you tell, who do you get to build you a new kernel that supports this stuff? Because you can't do it yourself. Nice. Do you think like it's, it's going to come down to being IPv6 that forces us away from all this bullshit? And, and then hopefully by the time IPv6 is getting up there, security is a little bit better? Or do you think we're no just way. forever? Forever. I mean, I, think I don't it, think IPv6 is going to help. The laziness that a lot of this stuff comes in or just the straight death that a lot of things like this succumb to, I think is really going to be the big thing that is going to be really difficult to mitigate because we're, you know, we're talking uh, MG with the thing with Mitch, um, you know, they're able to see all sorts of just wackiness in the way that the product was even marketed. You know, the, the product didn't, didn't say anything about the additional features that were available. And then in all that, there's also the insecurities in the way that data is even handled. And so people, you know, might also say, oh, I could develop my own thing that I could then use to say spy on people or get additional data or just you know not really care about how they handle that information you know there's another the other big one that i was, was thinking about was this thing called the eco plug i don't think you guys have heard of this one um i had mentioned yeah. it before in irc but it was it was like a wi-fi controlled plug then it reminded me a lot of the um the trackmageddon stuff that i posted in the stream chat there um where as soon as you connected this plug to your Wi-Fi, it in clear text sends, it does like a, um, a service scan on, on everything in your, on your home network. And it sends your, your network name, um, Mac address, like password in plain text over to this random server in China that was running like, you know, Windows Server 2003, um, you know, just plain <laughs> Server 2003 uh, with RDP enabled. And you're just like, why like how, why is my data being sent over here who set this up and why was this at walmart you know and so it just it seems like when because that thing was based on an esp8266 um and it had another little board there i mean that kind of thing is is people can can develop their own equal place it's like an instructables project that like went wrong pretty much like um the people can make these kind of things take those code and then just refit it to whatever kind of weirdo stuff they want to do and so i feel like just the ability for people to be able to prototype and develop these kind of things really quickly and the laziness well it might not even be laziness it could just be more hastiness in wanting to create a product that has an even lower price point than other people 
I think is really what is contributing to a lot of the source of supply chain crap. I think, I think that, that's yeah. a reputation is kind of the core. Uh, the big companies that actually need to persist a, a brand name and a reputation, maybe the IPv6 will kind of nudge them, but I, I couldn't name any of the manufacturers of a lot of the cheap Chinese stuff. They, they have no incentive there, and um, I, I think that's just going to persist. I think with like ESPs as well, because they're really well documented on how to start working with them, anything that's yeah. using them, you know, that's it's really it's a really quick entry point. Yep. Yeah, so I mean, just going back to the kind of origin of this this part of the conversation, it was how do people kind of get involved in in the beginning of it? And it sounded like that one was something you could literally just pick up at Walmart. I mean, yeah, exactly. find yeah, like little stuff like that. Just find it, hook it up um, to some network that you're not terribly attached to. Maybe maybe buy another router, and uh, and just watch what it does and poke it. Poke it a lot. Yeah, I um, I just dump stuff like I have a separate VLAN that just only has like trash on there. It's used for like trash, and then it has an interface to a VM, and that VM is the only thing that's on there. Turns out DHCP if it has to, and then yeah, you can smash around with anything you want. Um, but like one of uh one of the devices actually that I picked up for relatively cheap. Um, which was a network device that had claimed a bunch of security um, on it was a, a, a Ethernet over power adapters made by D-Link. Um, it claimed that by plugging into, like, so you plug it into the into the power socket, and then you plug the Ethernet in, and then Ethernet goes across your your internal house power. But if you think about it, like. In a lot of places, you're sharing, like, so if you live in an apartment building, if you're in an office, you might be on the same circuit as a whole bunch of other people. And um, this AES thing that it's supposed to uh, encrypt your traffic with across across power is actually totally automatic. So there's no way you don't set an AES key. There's no configuration box. You literally plug these things in. They auto-negotiate, including AES keys. And now you're, quote, secure. And... Like I always wanted to play with them, but like I have a fear of 240 volts, um, and I don't have a death wish. So, I yeah, I, I pulled them apart, looked, and was like, okay, that's like everything's a little bit too close for comfort in there. That's an MG project. <laughs> yeah, yeah MG has bigger balls than me, that's for sure. Just add a little fire to it, and I'm super excited. Really recommend that people will uh, buy cheap Chinese junk from Alibaba and DHgate. Just look for like wireless uh, bridges and 3G modems and little mini routers and stuff like that for $15. Um, and yeah. no name, no brand that you've never seen before, just some Chinese shit. Um, they'll almost always have a web interface no matter what they do um, and pull these things apart because if you brick them, who cares, $15. But the learning experience is invaluable and it's pretty eye-opening, especially when you start finding like this $15 mini router thing that you bought from China has got a fork of tiny HTTPD from 2001 and that's their HTTP server. It's got like vulnerabilities from 15 years ago. 
Um, and they're still completely valid because they needed to, to find a HTTP server that would fit within like 64 kilobytes of memory. So they just found that's one. Good. That's the case of uh, Ubiquiti's AeroS. Um, so that's this is totally separate from the other Ubiquiti shit that I've spoken about previously. But um, it's a separate product line. But they were running PHP 2 on these like 20, I think our 2015 produced um so they're like running a relatively new kernel there's os updates like there's you know new firmware still being released and in php2 if you're not familiar um so you have this concept in php of super globals things like post get whatever prior to php3 anything prior to that any um get post parameter that you post was a global so you could you were literally injecting globals through the url into like whatever script and that was like code injection done, everybody wins. And the only thing I can think is why the hell would you ever try and like, what, how would you figure out to put PHP two? how would you get that code to actually compile on a modern, modern system, let alone an embedded system and then like get it out there. It's like crazy. They, they literally went out of their way to make it insanely insecure. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Incredible. So uh, now we've talked more about our, a lot of these challenges, um, I think it'd be kind of interesting to, to see what do you guys think would be a meaningful way that IoT vendors can actually address some of these issues. So we saw the thing earlier with the FDA trying to get a bill of materials on um, medical devices that need to be secure, uh, software bill of materials. But we also know that there are the issues of intellectual property and not wanting their um, code to get bitten by, you know, some known manufacturer who wants to sell it for really cheap. So I guess, do you guys have any suggestions for any manufacturers who may be listening who would want to embed some of these ideas that we've been discussing into their products? Hire a hacker. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think from a, a hardware perspective, um, don't ship with headers for JTAG and UART. Just like, you know, even like a lot, a lot of the time they're unpopulated or they're filled with solder or something. It takes me like five minutes, you know, <laughs> like do something yeah. else. Like remove, like don't, like sometimes the tracks have uh, one resistor missing. Like that's not good enough. Like don't, like the, the best ones that I've seen have had like, a BGA, uh, BGA CPU and like there is no track from the JTAG pins. It's just that simple. They're like flashed, they flash the memory directly or before they connect it to the, like before it's soldered on. And then that, ma that makes um, discovery of vulnerabilities much harder. It doesn't remove the vulnerabilities though. Like it's, they're still there. So you, you're touching on one piece that I think is one of the probably biggest access points to all these devices is the UART and like the UART uh, controller or whatever you want to call it. That's that's the key. Like figuring out the pinouts for it, usually like serial based. I mean, not Pike. I'm sure you can probably speak a little more clearly on it, but that's that's one of the big keys. I think it's more of you. Fancy. I just started playing with that. I already bridged one of my toys. Oh, you bridged one? <laughs> well, I mean, so what about you? Yeah, so dude, I just use a multimeter. Like, 
literally look for ground continuity. And then I look for 3.3 volts on like some random ass headers and there's usually three or four. That's, and then uh, beyond that, um, so if that still doesn't work or I have some undetermined headers, there's some like, sometimes the J-Tabulator, which is uh, from Joe Grand, Grand, Grand Design Studios is pretty good. They're kind of pricey. Um, that can that can detect you out um, as well as JTAG. Um, another method that I use, I guess, is uh, always go to the data sheet. Like so, once you're looking at the chip, and you can identify what it is, go to the manufacturer's website, go to Bug Me Not, so you can get a login, um, get login, download the data sheet, and uh, and sometimes I've just taken like pretty high res pics of the underside of like BGA or whatever and of like where the BGA points are and then traced it, you know, literally in Photoshop, drawn lines on the picture to follow the traces back to where the pins are or where they should be connecting or where there's a resistor missing or something like that. And like, that's that's often one method that I use for that. Um, but usually like the multi, like usually the multimeter technique is like, that's, that's, that's my, go, my go-to just like, boom, got a ground, got, you know, two fluctuating between one and 3.3 volts and then one square up 3.3 volt, which will be, you know, the VCC pin. Um, and there you go. Um, yeah, it feels like I'm it. actually cheating right now because the device that I'm playing with, which is a uh, little Zigbee light bulb controller for the uh, smart home automation, literally all the J tags were like labeled. So I was like, oh, that's common ground. That's that. Oh, okay. And then it was like, oh, a chip. Okay, let's look this up. And then you go on the website and it's like, oh, dude, this is like the help desk. This is literally the stack overflow for this chipset. And I'm getting all these answers. Yeah. Some of them have any for like starter, uh, starter equipment. Because I know there's like the, USB things and stuff like that. Do you have any recommendations? My absolute go to first tool is always the bus pirate. Yeah, um, I'm going to say the same. That's that's my that's my go-to tool for like SPI, I2C, UART, um, and a few other things. But it doesn't do everything. Um, some other tools that I often use, I guess, I use a bus blaster for JTagging. Um, um, there's a few like JTag gets really messy because it's a standard. Like there's like there's a there's an eJTag standard and some other things, but it's not really standard at all. Um, so a lot of the time, the best way to JTAG uh, a lot of devices is go like find out the chip and find the programmer for that chip. And they usually cost like 200 bucks. It's ridiculous. Um, for finding pinouts, the JTAGulator is pretty good. But like I said, pretty expensive. Um, a lot of hookup cables, a bunch of spare resistors and some breadboards. Um, for dumping NAND, like if you want to get NAND off a chip, um, you, or NOR as well, like a couple of different types of storage. Um, you can use like a Teensy with um, the 360 clip. They they make a, a clip called the UniClip. So the 360 clip is um, basically was used with the Xbox 360, where you just and the PS4, uh, sorry PS3, where you just clip it directly over, and it makes contacts with all the pins in in on the chip. You then um, use a whole bunch of hookup wires and a breadboard and maybe a resistor or two. Uh, to hook it up to your Teensy. There's firmwares on GitHub. Um, the tool that is primarily used is called Norway, like N-O, like capital N-O-R way. 
um, and then you can yeah straight up start dumping uh, directly from the from the chip um, with some EFI stuff I've done like Apple stuff like Soic eight uh, the Soic eight clips are really really handy as well so using um, a Soic eight clip and the SPI interface on a Raspberry Pi and throwing actually not Dan this was a um, this is a suggestion you used to overvolt it and um, it actually made it way more stable and worked correctly. Um, but I was able to dump the EFI ROM off a Mac mini um, and by giving it about four and a bit volts, which is just over its working parameters because you obviously lose some to the other components because you're doing it in chip, um, was able to just clip, like pull it apart, put the clip on the board. Like the idea is you pull it apart, put the clip on the board, dump the firm, like dump the firmware, Fuck with it however you do it, you, whether you're using like bin walk to pull parts out, whether you're just straight hex editing or whatever, and then pushing it back. Um, and yeah, like in regards to software tools, hex editors, um, the, there's dependence like, you know, bin walk to detect different file systems inside of your dumps. Um, yeah, I guess you guys got anything else? <laughs> you covered a lot. That's great. I think we need to cover, we need to like get like a, a repo in a way of all of the different things that we encounter maybe just start start some kind of community i i, I would assume there already is one though isn't there there's, there's a few there's a bunch of different people that are posting that kind of stuff it, it can get kind of disparate because it's a lot of it is really specialized um so people you know aren't not everybody's hacking the same like credit card scanner or um you know, GPS tracker or something. So definitely would be cool if we could start up some of our own stuff, maybe offer some of our Git services to, to some other people as well, um, because it is yeah. tough to find it. And it's also tough as well to find, I think a big thing that's, that's frustrating is, is finding the development tools that you might need to actually have anything meaningful. Um, like one of the things, actually MG, remember when we were trying to dump, or we dumped the firmware for the S8 um, data line locator, but then had a lot of trouble with rewriting the edited firmware back to the chip because I didn't have the exact, there's like an IDE and there's some other random crap that they had uh, developed for programming this um, chip. And so a lot of those tools and a lot of the different little scripts and, and things you need to set up an actual dev environment, it's you know annoying to actually set that up. And a lot of the times it's using really, really old versions of libraries and things. So. I think definitely keeping track of that yep. would be really cool. Yeah, you definitely want to have, like, you might be able to clone OpenWRT today, but it, it might not compile for what you're trying to do yesterday. Um, and another, another trick as well is if you do have an embedded Linux box and you want to run something on it and you can't get the old libraries, like good old static linking comes in handy. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, it might take up the whole storage for one binary, but it could be worth it. I can just learn a bunch of ARM assembly and optimize. Uh, but so, yeah, we touched on with a lot of stuff too. I definitely think a lot of people need to buy, you know, Oh, sorry. Um, I'm thinking that a lot of, I'm trying to say that a lot of people, I think, should really start poking around a lot more to be able to say, you know, vulnerability or disclose vulnerabilities that they find or other weird configurations and things because. There's a lot of these manufacturers, I think, 
sometimes just don't know. As we were saying before, there might be just hardware engineers, or there might be people who are developing things that are going to be part of, of a larger system. So, you know, maybe their, their setup of a cellular modem isn't the first, isn't the main thing on their mind. They might be for an industrial control that they're trying to actually, you know, um, interface with, and they just need a quick and dirty sort of interface over, you know, cellular network to get to happen. And so I think that if we can, you know, as a community, more people definitely need to get involved in actually poking around these kind of things and alerting people in a sane way to actually let the manufacturer be able to see, you know, what they can actually do to fix these issues. Because I feel like a big problem is a lot of them just don't understand that people can just open up their thing and, and you know, attack through JTAG or over Telnet for God knows what. Um, so yeah, I definitely think it's, it's definitely valuable for, for manufacturers as well as researchers to, uh, poke around a lot more. Um, there's a couple of, um, uh, frameworks and Linux distributions specifically for like router, IOT device, mobile device testing. Uh, there's one that was just released at Black Hat Asia a month ago. Just Googling it now. It's called Drona. D-R-O-N-A, and it's a, it's a VM image. I guess it's a Ubuntu variant that's specifically for IoT reverse engineering. And there's another one called Atifi, A-T-T-I-F-I-O-S, which is, um, yeah, it's like a Kali for the Internet of Things. Um, I just remembered as well, uh, when we talk, I was talking to NotPy, I don't know, maybe a week or so ago, and um, I was mentioning um, in regards to nuances with, with devices, um, one thing I've seen manufacturers do is uh, there's often a JTAG cell pin, um, which is very annoying. Basically, like, because on a JTAG chain, like, you might have multiple tap devices. So you might have a CPU, an FPGA, which will be used for, like, voice encoding and maybe some other stuff. And um, the CPU, which is what you want, because that's where you're going to get to the storage directly. Um, you know, you're going to start, you know, remote GDB or something like that. It's uh, it's it'll be in bypass mode, and so you'll need to find like this JTAG JTAG cell and pull it low or pull it high, depending on you know what it wants, before you'll actually be able to actually like before you'll actually be able to interact with that chip. You might get other stuff on the chain, but it's like totally not what you want. So identifying those things is um, I guess kind of annoying. Like you'll get a different CPU ID a lot of the time if it's in bypass mode or not. Um, and then I guess the other thing was uh, SWD, like JTAG, which is um, like your your TMI and TMO pins, which is like your basically your your. Um, like your Mossy Miso in, in and out, um, they'll be the same pin. And so uh, there's like, as far as like, I know, the current version of like Open OCD doesn't support it. So you need to like patch that just to like, just to start interfacing with this um, this different standard. And it's not um, an, um, like it's, it's a pretty common standard. You just need to know that it like exists and that that's the way that you do that one. It's like a little bit of, uh, learning and playing and hating yourself for a few days and then you're like oh i'm the smartest man in the world and then you go back to hating yourself 
I think something I learned uh, is always just build from source. Don't bother trying packages. Just fucking build it all from source. Save yourself. Save yourself. Yeah, and I think... Um, also, I also uh, shut up again, lawyer. Well... Uh, hilarious. Not if you own it. We need to... I mean, but I just did it. So there. Anyways, but yeah, building from source, just going back to that. Um, there's a lot of that... Uh, but they don't they don't mix and match together they're usually not going to do what you want them to do and you're going to be wondering why in the hell you can't get this device to work on top of all the other things that docs just was talking about um so save yourself the headache and just do it the hard way it's a little harder to build from source but it's worth it yeah and a lot of the time you're doing this in vms they're sort of a little bit throwaway in a case like you might have a template that you copy and you know, you, you do point. that, but yeah, like if you're going to run it on a production system, like and install shit from source all day, you might have a bad time, but you know, we live in the land of VMs now. It's not that much of a big deal. You're talking about, uh, like what, like 115200 board over USB. It's like probably fine. Yeah. I, I neglected to mention the 80 snapshots that I had, uh, getting to the end of the chain so yes you're you're very right about that cool so um what else so look you stepped away and we caught him we caught him stepping away it was a test but he's uh i i think some of the advanced stuff that we're talking about, um, I, I'm guessing there's a decent amount of people that know what we're making. Is there any other like wins that people can can just kind of just grab? Oh, and by the way, I wanted to make a shout out for Goodwill because that place rules for getting hardware to fuck with. Yes. Well, Amen to that. Goodwill is the place to be. Or say. Another thing that I just just remembered that seeing earlier this week that I didn't really read properly that I wanted to was uh, those Bluetooth credit cards. Um, and one of the one of the techniques that I've seen used a bunch of times with uh, IoT, with a lot of hardware reverse engineering, is um, uh, X-rays. So like taking X-rays of boards um, at different uh, different radiation levels, so that you can tell the difference between you know like tin and gold and layer one and layer two or layer four or whatever, you know, it's kind of multi-layer multi PCVs are kind of hard to x-ray, but there's, um, I've seen some guys that have, have produced some pretty good work. And I think uh, you might not be able to get the internals of, you know, a CPU or something, but if you can at least get a lot of the tracks that connect to that CPU, that's, that's pretty good. That's, that's really handy. And I wish I had a way to get uh, <laughs> stuff x-rayed really quickly. So what is um? There's a website and I'm trying to remember it right now, that has a bunch of uh, decapped chips, and um, it has up close like people have just decapped them and uploaded really high-res photos of them. I'm not trying. I don't remember exactly which 
uh, place it was, but I know there is a site and there's a couple of different communities that um, <clears throat> make really good uh, high-res photos of dives for people to check out. Because a lot of the stuff... Like, like the teardown websites? Um, it goes a little bit beyond that. They they use uh, like acids and all sorts of other techniques to decap chips and then take a look at them. That's also a really interesting uh, place to start if you're interested in you know computer science and how chips are actually made because people have done some really wild things like <clears throat> by looking at mass groms being able to read um the actual binary data off of mass groms to be able to pull out you know the actual uh, firmware of devices that might be kind of weird um actually i'll find that i'm gonna take a look um through my notes to see if i have anything for that so there's actually um interesting point on on pulling firmware off devices you can't with uh the arduino due there is uh, a, a flag for when you write the firmware which is like dash s or something and it, it, it's Afternoon. designed so that it's a secure write and you can't pull it off but um yeah there's been cases where people have um you know inspected the, the physical chip through decapping and whatnot and gone ahead and and read that data back i mean that's that's not easy but it's a thing like you need quite, you know, like you need resources to do that kind of thing. Isn't yeah. that how uh, Xbox got broke? The, like either 360 or maybe it was even the original one. Just tapping one of the one of the wires or lines traces. Uh, so the original three, the original Xbox was uh, the TSOP was not writable. And if you bridge two points, uh, two traces, you would that would enable the uh, that chip to be uh, writable. And then there was a um, a whole bunch of software exploits, like in save games, like I think one of the games, like Mech Warrior. Another one was um, I don't know, Mech Assault, maybe I don't know. I can't remember the, what the games were, but um, yeah, you you basically just had to bridge two points on the motherboard, um, and then use a, a exploitable like exploited save game and then that was it so the save game was basically some field wasn't checked um like for length or whatever and that, that was it so like um and then that was similar to the team tweezers Wii soft mod where um in zelda twilight princess the horse's name save game um like in the save game uh, in the save file was uh, not checked again so like whatever you name so like you go up to a guy and you like talk to the horse like you talk to him and he says the horse's name and the second he goes to say it, it's like oh now you have like code execution lol that's how yeah, uh... yeah. interesting thing though right like you're not you're not just talking about cheating in the game you're talking about setting a code execution point that gives you control over the entire device to like just right. do whatever which is there's a really good uh, DEFCON talk about by uh, Dwego AC about Taskbot and how they took a SNES and then hooked it up to the internet and then got Twitch chat to read through the SNES through, uh, I think it was Super Mario World, and how you can basically do that, like what you're saying, awesome. Dan. Yeah, the, uh, there's also, yeah, that right there. That you just linked, but the there's a hack pack for uh, Super Smash Brothers Melee, 
that is done almost like the Twilight Princess one that you were talking about, DZ, where uh, it takes advantage of like a, a something to do with the name that you can set for your specific character, and through that they use like code injection off the memory cards. Yep. Yeah, it was the same with um, like and currently on DS, I think it's like Sudoku off the. It's like a dollar app. You get yeah. From the store. There's a couple actually on the 3DS. There's like uh, OT hacks and a lot of stuff. I uh, I do want to eventually try to get some of the people who've been doing those console hacks to do so like an interview with us. Yeah, we're gonna have that right now. Of... That'd be awesome. Yeah. I'm trying I to get a uh, tech. He uh, created the uh, Havoc firmware. And he actually agreed to do like a pre-recorded interview, but he's also working on a fam or not Famicom. I just totally forgot the gaming console. But this guy, he's crazy. He's actually literally took in the chip and he kind of is just reverse engineering it just from straight from the transistors. Yeah, similar to um, did you guys see the the uh, Dreamcast uh, hack that was pretty recent, a couple of years ago now? Like it took twenty years to to break this this chip and this guy like the guy wanted to make chip tunes with it because of the specific timing oh wait it was, was that a couple of the dreamcast the, chips oh the dreamcast chip i thought that was the uh the guys who reverse engineered it was like one of the older sega consoles uh sega saturn it was an australia guy it must have it might be the saturn you could be correct yeah i um so he presented it at a con, but uh, that's actually when I was off doing my thing at the same time, so I didn't get to see it. But yeah, that that was a leak because like he uh, he created a chip, he used a bunch of undocumented um, functions that had slowly been documented over the years through like different reverse engineering methods, and then eventually found a way to like uh, to to pull the whole. I think he pulled the whole ROM out. Um, off this like magic chip that was like proprietary or whatever. Well, it wasn't just him, right? I think eventually towards the end, he ended up getting some help from some like random dude in like Colorado or something. Yeah, likely, likely. It, it, it was um, it was a pretty it was mammoth like, task. Yeah, there was like a it was like a like a I don't know like an hour long YouTube video on it or something. It might have been the talk. I don't remember exactly. Yeah, that's what we should have products that people have done. And I think that, you know, for people who want to get involved in this sort of thing and to be able to contribute to this sort of conversation, to definitely look into everything like that. Because it doesn't have to be specifically IoT, but it can also be other things like, you know, game consoles or other random devices. And I think that just by exposing yourself to those sort of concepts, because a lot of them are going to be the same, or how to get you know, root on something or how to um, get into, you know, even getting into like a debug menu or something. I feel like more the more people that we have buzzing and looking for just anything at all coming from any of their devices, I think that it'll definitely be able to educate a lot more people about this concept as a whole. Because I feel like, as we were saying before, there's a lot of people who just are developing stuff and they don't particularly know what people would actually do with them. But then as you know hackers and people who are interested in this sort of thing we know exactly what somebody would want to do when they're trying to break into something so i feel like 
the more people that are on that, the more it'll raise the profile and the importance of having secure devices. Yeah, I think there's um there's a big thing that I try and do as well is like I try not to damage like a, a lot of people do decapping, desoldering of ICs, stuff like that. I try to stay away from that because I want my result to be repeatable on that device and other devices in the future. Whereas if you decap, if you if you desolder, you damage it, you need another one. It's not if, if that's the only attack, it's not as practical. Um, to reuse like in the real world like if you're going to install like some sort of like hardware type uh, backdoor or whatever um, you, you don't want to cause damage to the device um, but you also need the balls like to like look at your device pull it apart like take the screws out is the first step like take the screws fucking out get your multimeter out and then solder to the board like don't just look around poke around and think oh I don't want to break it like you still need to have some sort of you know, I might I might short this out and break it. I might accidentally put you know like twelve volt on the on the the three volt track and it'll you know blue smoke and that'll be the end of it. But if you Start don't, that try with things maybe you know like not things that are plugging into the wall to start. Oh yeah yeah yeah. So like <laughs> in the way of voltages, like you you'll almost with UART and stuff like that, UART JTAG whatever, you're generally dealing with three point three volts maybe five volts yeah, there's very very little danger but yeah like i was saying about the 240 volt thing before like don't don't fuck with that unless you're mg yo yo <laughs> hey someone just asked in the chat uh so jacks he said does any of you guys play with str firmware exploitation which is gonna say uh not like definitely sorry i had technical difficulties someone said my favorite three letters <laughs> sbr yeah, we might actually, I think it would be cool to do a whole show on that again in the future, um, talking about radio, um, because that also plays a lot into IoT as well, um, when we have the, um, what's it called, I mean, anything that's radio internet or the, uh, what's called, the sirens that were recently hacked, you know, things like that are definitely huge, and people completely overlook them, because a lot of people just do not understand at all. Yeah, it's definitely an attack vector people usually don't like to consider. I mean, radio in itself, like this huge, steep learning curve, especially when you start talking about SDR with digital signal processing. And literally, it's like one of those like misnomers that people are like, oh my God, it's kind of black magic, and it really is. But really, it's just kind of like simply just looking at it and trying to figure out what's going on. I mean, it can be simple as like looking at TCP packets, but then you also got to remember that sometimes like technology is involved as far as actually how we're going to be sending information over the airways, you can get pretty extensive, like Wi-Fi. We take advantage of it every day, but it uses like QAM64, which is like literally 64 different phases of what a sine wave can look like just to even get data across. Yeah. <laughs> so, Pac, um... But all these packets are being sent to Krebs's website, right? At the end of, of the day, yes. Of course. That's the end point where they end up. Welcome back. So, Pike, would you would you consider that uh, a lot of handheld radios, like more traditional style stuff, like you know, like the P twenty five things that the police walk around with and whatever, would you do you consider those like devices, like IoT devices? Like, is there is there potential for attack vector over the airwaves? Oh yeah, I mean, some of those devices actually pipe internet through. I mean, when you start looking at squad cars and stuff like that. 
they're actually some channels they use for like P25. You can pump data through that. Yeah, I was looking at um, the DMR recently. Um, and yeah, I noticed that there was a whole bunch of data that I couldn't read, but um, the voice was cool. I mean, when you look at like P25 or some of the other uh, trunking networks, you got to keep in mind that one of those channels is actually your control channel, which kind of dictates which channel that the voice is going to be going over. But when you start seeing like some of them put together and like the bandwidths are a little wider, it's like you got to think to yourself, is that data or is that this the command channel? Yep. Um, so in the Twitch chat, uh, Faith, you just posted an interesting link that I guess we could touch on right now. Uh, which is the the VGA uh, transmitter? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I who who retweeted that on Twitter like last week, I mean, Friday? It was low cow. Yeah, low cow. I was just saying, I I read through that like I, well, I skimmed through that uh, my weekend, and it's pretty interesting. It's interesting. It's I think that it's a device in itself. So, sorry, Emma. Oh, I, I just said it's super short, short range from what I uh, can understand, but... That's right, but if, like, what I thought was interesting was if you look at the history of it, um, 2001, I'm sure anyone was around there and remembers using CRT monitors to, to transmit AM signals. Yes. Um, and it's along um, those lines. It was, like it was Brian Carpenter who initially tweeted it. Geeknik. So, like, there's been, uh, I think, four or five different iterations of that. And I think, um, you know, that those devices, because those things are still, you know, in itself, like, it's a powered device with a chip that does whatever. It has a firmware. Um, it's an active device. Like, that's still, that's, like, how long have the NSA been using that to exfiltrate it? Uh, exfiltrate? data across air gaps like hilarious <laughs> since at least 2007 from what we can tell yeah so if the if the first examples came out in 2001 and i remember re recalling um the radiation from crt from crt monitors being used to rebuild like sort of blurry pictures of those are uh, of what they were yeah, being displayed yep. on the tempest stuff yeah, yeah, that yeah, was awesome. Really awesome. All right, hey, so it's 11.30 here on the East Coast, and just wanted to uh, say we should probably close up real quick. Um, so thank you to everybody who watched this. We definitely wanted to use this as a way for people to sort of get these ideas out there and then in the future bring on some people to talk more about IoT security and maybe get into more specialized things. Um, so feel free to hit us up on Twitter at ThugCrowd or ThugCrowd.com to um, get in contact with us about this because we'd love to have more conversations with people who are developing these things, developing policy, or have anything else to say on it because IoT security is definitely incredibly important. Um, so does anybody have any last words before we head out? Don't be afraid. Pull shit apart. Yes. Actually, don't be afraid of being experienced. I'm new and I'm poking at stuff, figuring stuff out. Break stuff, move fast. Isn't that like Zuckerberg's thing? Poke all the things. You had to ruin it. the last you part. Sorry, bro. <laughs> move fast, break things, and get away.
I didn't think that. Yeah, <laughs> should I be get a lawyer? Uh. I think uh, don't don't be afraid to like if you don't spend much money. We already mentioned goodwill and Chinese sites. Like, buy cheap shit, pull it apart. Expect that you're going to break it. That's how you learn. Also, uh, Australians go to Bunnings. What did you say? Uh, don't forget to invest in a Shodan membership. It's 50 bucks and okay. I thought you said get a gym membership, but I was like, oh, <laughs> you could do that too because you can probably uh, there's probably some limited route on uh, some treadmills or something. Hell yeah! Stay curious. Hell yeah! So thanks, guys. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Adios. Peace. Yeah.